0: June 2012 episode podcast. Uh, what, else, what else could we call this? Let's. Uh, we're episodic. We're, we are nice definitely stuff. episodic. The way we just keep showing up on your in your iTunes. Why do we do that? Well, here we are again. Welcome to the Ordinary Means podcast. I'm your host Sean Nolan, and here's your other host Matt Bowling. I'm a host. You get wow. to be a host How did that today. Happen? five years of doing this and I get to be a host. <laughs> yeah, can I be the guest? Can I just be the guy that... Well... No, you well, know what? That well, means I have maybe. to talk more. But I'm
1: so used to you running the show, I just don't know how I would do it. <laughs>
0: uh, you, I think the whole, only reason we've ever called me the host is because I'm the guy who hits the record button. Indeed. Yeah, I think that's it. I can't think of any other reason.
1: Well, this is... And for our, I think we're up to five listeners. For our five listeners, Sean, this was your idea as well. So that gives you you know that gives you, you know, founder, <laughs> founding host, president, founding, get all of those titles because this podcast was your idea. You, the so, only problem is where it's due. the only
0: problem is if you start giving me titles like president, you're going to have to look back and figure out if I actually do have the degree. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't look too closely at your and, uh, resume. Yeah, don't look too closely at my resume. Um, so uh, otherwise, Yahoo! I'd be out of there. Um, sorry, bad uh, bad joke that nobody'll understand years from now when they're listening to this podcast. Okay, well hey, it's going on June. We're actually recording this in May, and you will be listening to this in June, and we're continuing a series we've been doing for the past couple months on revitalization, on strengthening churches. And today we're going to look a little bit at some of the passages that talk about that, mainly in Acts, is where you find the book of Acts, is where you find this phrase uh, that Paul uh, went around strengthening uh, churches, or you also find strengthening disciples, that's in there as well. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. But Matt, let's start out. You've got some numbers. Uh, let's throw the statistics yeah. out right at the beginning.
1: So for people who listen to us who you know maybe listen to us for a couple of months or uh, several years or whatever um you know we typically talk about the intersection of ordinary means with regular church life and you know our tagline is you know ordinary men using the ordinary means and because we believe that's the way that God wants to um use his church it's not a complex thing church is not a complex thing um it does you don't know, need the uh, the latest and greatest um uh, God's given us the tools uh, the powers in the gospel and us uh, you know, uh, intentionally applying it to people in preaching and prayer and um, Bible reading, uh, those kinds of things. Um, and so you might wonder why Why is this something that we would consider? Where do we see the intersection? Well, sometimes churches can need revitalization because they've strayed away from the ordinary means. And what they've done in doing that is that they've made a, a bunch of people that are there, um, people that have come there, um, because of the offerings that the church had and so they the church has tapped into sort of that american consumer mindset and um and that's the reason that people are actually at the church uh and then eventually that wanes because if you have a youth pastor and you know that's what people think is ought to happen those kids grow up and if there isn't more people that are being reached with the gospel more people coming in then suddenly those uh Later teenagers or college students find nothing in the church that's of value to them um, because what they found valuable about the church was the particular offering that the church had, not the gospel or Jesus necessarily. Um, And so many times churches end up in revitalization because they turned away from the ordinary means of grace. Um, We find in the scriptures as well that this uh, this was bread and butter for Paul. So sometimes I'll talk with people... Um, some of you know, I, am in a revitalization church in Seattle and I help the, I'm beginning to help the PCA, um, think carefully about how to do this and trying to begin to help some churches do this better. Um, one of the reasons is that the PCA has quite a number of churches that are in need of revitalization. Um, in America, basically, um, the, Broad statistics that are out there is that 75 to 80% of churches are plateaued or declining. Um, And we can link a book up there um, by uh, Olson. I think it's American Church in Crisis, but we'll we'll clarify that for you. Uh, But that's the most recent work that's been done. It's very scary work, actually. Um, I've not read it, but from what I've read of other people quoting it, it's just devastating in terms of the number of churches that will be lost over time if trends don't turn around we 're not planting churches fast enough uh, to compensate for the churches that are closing so seventy five to eighty percent of churches in America are plateaued or declining, and what I mean by that is the scorecard that i 'm using is that uh, have they reached new people with the gospel? so they stop reaching people with the gospel or uh, and so they 're just on a plateau they 're content with the people that they have or they 're content to move Christians in um, or are they declining? they've begun not only to not reach new people with the gospel, the people they have are either dying off or they're leaving or whatever. Um, And the statistics bear out that 75% or 80% of the churches in America are in that state. Um, And so if we were to apply that to the denomination that Sean and I are ordained in, um, we have about 1,450 established churches, about 300 mission churches. So if we take those 1,450 established churches— uh, and we apply that statistic. You're somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand churches, and I'm trying to work to verify this right now. If this is actually the case, um, PCA, even though we're Presbyterian, we're a little mm, rebellious about our connectionalism at times, and so not everybody reports, you know, how their congregation's doing to the main office, since that makes it harder to do statistical stuff and actually know what the state of the denomination is. But let's just say for argument. There's a thousand churches in the PCA that are plateaued or declining when measured by um have they reached something with the gospel in the last year? Um and so that is the point, of course, why Jesus gathered his church was to extend for churches to be gospel way stations, that the gospel doesn't end with them, but it goes on through them. Um
0: Yeah, you know, the, Matt, the that's a that's a good point that I we really should emphasize is um is how do you judge whether a church is a is a thriving godly church um you know you can look at you can look at the letters in the book of revelation i think that's probably because that's the clearest thing we have jesus is saying mm-hmm. here's what makes a church and if you don't continue in this uh, you will. I will remove your lampstand. So that's right. that's a.
1: So if you look at Ephesus, I think, I think we looked at Ephesus last last month. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus says you've lost your first love. Yeah. How does that show? How does it show that you've lost your first love? How's that revealed?
0: You're not talking about uh, Jesus. Uh, the way you judge a plateaued church is by the fact that they're not reaching unbelievers anymore.
1: Yeah, that's a, um, I might have mentioned this in one of the previous podcasts, the last two, but there's a, a book that's come out in just the last couple, oh, the last five years called Transformational Church, and one of the things, it's, it's really good. It's a very, very helpful book. We can post it up on the website. But the um, one of the things that they talk about that's been very helpful to me is changing the scorecard. So when a congregation looks at itself, how does it evaluate whether it's a healthy congregation or not? And one of the ways that I think, if we have a great commission mentality and a mindset is that part of the scorecard is, are we reaching people with the gospel? That's if the call of the Great Commission is to go into the nations, right? And the assumption there is that you're going to pagans. You're going to people that don't know Jesus, that we go, we infiltrate the place that we're at because God's got his people there, and we bring the gospel to them. And then as they come to Christ, we continue uh, teaching them the gospel and the implications of it and the depth of it. And they they become disciples who, who, uh, over time obey Jesus and everything that he's commanded to go back out again as missionaries in their own neighborhoods to reach more people with the gospel and continue the disciple making process the, as it goes. So I think part of it is to look at the scorecard and if the scorecard, if Jesus scorecard is first love for me means that you embrace the great commission as a lifestyle, that that's what life is about, um, then that's part of whether we know whether a church is plateaued or, or declining. Declining churches are a lot easier to see. Um, plateau churches um, can appear to be that all is wonderful. Churches in plateau have nice buildings. They have nice staffs. They have nice um, budgets. It all looks good. Um, but at the same time, is Jesus happy with the church? And it, it, are they sowing the seeds of their own destruction? That's Those are questions. One of the reasons I think it's important to look at the statistics and just see something like the PCA has got, you know, maybe a thousand churches that are um, plateaued or declining, um, and some of those severely declining, you know, where the next pastor who comes in um, is probably going to be the agent that God uses either to, to bring the church back to health and to thriving and to... Um, first love again, or that church is going to show itself um, unrepentant and actually face the discipline of the Father uh, that Jesus threatens in Revelation 2 and 3, that I'll take the lampstand away. Uh, That Jesus does leave the building sometimes. Um, And when Jesus leaves the building, we can try and keep up the facade that a church is still there, or we can agree with Jesus that we were unrepentant and he's left and he's not present with us anymore. Um, And so, Thank, thank you for using
0: have. those, that kind of terminology, because I think, I think we have churches that say, hey, you know, we're, we're all, we're Christians here. We're, um, we, we might even be growing because Christians from other churches come and move from their churches to join our church. Uh, or, mm-hmm. or we're having kids. <laughs> and so, so there's always, there's always new people coming into the church. And we're all listening to good Bible preaching every Sunday. But if that element of the Great Commission isn't there, and if we're not actively as a church saying we need to be evangelical, right? That's what we call the Christian church in America, is the evangelical church. Mm-hmm. Th- that means we are gospel sharers. And if we're not doing that, I, I appreciate how the way you put it, Matt, we need to repent. We're, we're not right. a a godly—we might be godly in many ways. We might be—you know, it might be a beautiful thing in some other ways. The, the preaching might be spot on. But if the evangelism isn't there, we're, we're approaching—well, like well, like you said, if Jesus is our first love, the, the letter of the Ephesians in, in Revelation, they lost their first love. And the first sign of losing your love is is that you don't talk about your love anymore mm-hmm. you don't talk if if somebody you know if i was to matt you've i don't know how long you've known me um, how long have we known each other this is this is a question our wives could answer um right okay so twenty years i don't think it's been that long has it been that long close to close to twenty years. Um, and all of a sudden, after knowing me for twenty years i said hey i 'd like you to meet my wife <laughs> <laughs> you know what i 'm saying you would be yeah. you'd be wait a second, you never mentioned her
1: <laughs> you have a love interest you you really? have
0: really you you love this woman <laughs> and that's that's it it's like for 20 years i've been in this church I've never, yeah, i'm not i'm i'm saying hypothetically 20 years you've been in a church where you've never seen a non-christian walk through the door or a young christian somebody who just came to faith that's something's going on yep. so and that's where you, that's where you're going is is your aim here the reason we want to strengthen churches we want to bring them back to Seeing that the ordinary means are not simply to be there so that we can say we have preaching, uh, we have the sacraments, we have prayer, but that evangelism is supposed to be, the gospel is supposed to be a piece in all three of those. That the preaching is, you know, Paul saying, I, I preach Christ and him crucified. I know nothing but Christ. And the sacraments, that is the visual gospel. And the prayer is prayer for the lost. Okay, so all that has to be there. Now, carry on with our numbers here.
1: Well, let me say one more thing about Revelation 2, because we're going to look at a bunch of passages today, just so that you can see that there's a a piece of what Paul did in the Mediterranean basin that I think we've forgotten about. And that's the major thing we want to kind of focus on today in this podcast, just to— kind of broaden your understanding of what a what sort of a biblical, well-rounded um, ministry looked like according to Paul. Now, that's an example. It's not mandated of us, but it, it, at least we would think that as an apostle and as one who was advancing the Great Commission among the Gentiles that Paul would inform at least what we would do. One of the things that's interesting about Revelation two um, about the church in Ephesus, Jesus says in Revelation two four, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Okay, we need to love Jesus more. We need to be we need to be holy. We need to return to the ordinary means. Yes, remember therefore from where you fall and repent and do the works you did at first. What were those? What were those works?
0: Mm.
1: They were works that that revealed that that the love that we have for God. Um, That when we get his love, we give it away. That's the first John puts that together for us and says, We love because he first loved us, brothers and those who don't yet know Christ. And so, if we get that we're loved, then we love. We feel we figure out that I love God and I love neighbor if I sense that I'm loved. That's why the gospel becoming central again in a church. Look back at our series of podcasts on that. Um, is so crucial. Because unless we, we're getting the gospel more deeply and applying it more broadly in our lives, we don't have that sense, I'm loved. And so I have this reservoir of love that I can give away, that I can respond to God's love with love for him, and then also to my neighbors, many of whom don't know Jesus but need to. You know, you have the, you have the um, same
0: thing going on in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Hebrews, mm-hmm. he's through the whole thing, like you said. You've got it's got the gospel has to be central. Well, what happens to the mm. to these Jewish believers in the Book of Hebrews? This is possibly even, you know, this was first Church of Jerusalem, hmm. and what's happening to them? Well, they're going back to the law, they're going back in, to the ceremonies and saying, you know what, Jesus isn't great and all, but I really prefer the feasts. And in a sense, they're taking the easy route. Instead of the gospel call to come and die, it's the, it's the ceremonial call to come and offer a sacrifice, come and uh, perform a ritual, come and join in a feast. And then you can, if you just do those things, you can say you're a Christian. And see, we, we do the same thing, don't we?
1: If you formalistically do those things. What's supposed to be. And he yeah.
0: comes to the, the the author of Hebrews comes to them and he, d- he does this. He says, you need to remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured great conflict of suffering. Well, now how? How did they suffer? Well, they were made uh, a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and they became sharers with those who were so treated. Now, why were they treated that way? Because they were sharing the gospel. Mm and because they were they were coming out as christians in jerusalem and they were getting beaten up and even the guys that right. didn't get beaten up were willing to stand by the guys who were getting beaten up and then the guys who weren't getting beaten up started having their their property taken away from them and it's uh, hebrews 10 he says don't you remember you accepted the seizure of your property with joy right <laughs> i mean could you even Imagine that being said of the church in America today. It's, no. No, we, we live in the church of don't touch my stuff. And right. and so it's the same thing. It's at the, In the beginning, they had this love. In the beginning, this is why a few podcasts back, I said, you know when a church needs revitalization, you know when it needs strengthening? The moment it's not a, a church plant anymore.
1: Well, and sadly, there's some church plants that are pretty unhealthy, too. But that's topic probably for another time.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think I know where you're. Where the lines you're thinking along the lines of like a church plant that's a group of Christians, maybe even a dis, disgruntled Christians.
1: Yeah, I think there are different kinds of revitalization. It's a longer yeah. conversation. It's actually a whole research project. But yeah, I mean, I the first revitalization I did was a church that was just the side of being planted, but it was very unhealthy. Now I think we're doing better at that in the PCA. But um, it it doesn't take too long. I mean, I think that that's one of the reasons why when you go through the book of Acts, um, I have a whole – maybe we should post this, Sean. I I hadn't thought of that until I just said Mm it. But I'm going to do a talk um, in July at a conference uh, as a devotional that maybe we'll throw up as an extra on the the blog to go with this. where I go through the history of the church in Ephesus. Actually, this already exists out there. You can link to it, Sean. But anyways, the, I do the history of the church in Ephesus, and all the times that God touched the church in Ephesus through all these different people. And it's, fa- it's a fascinating study because I think it shows that God's heart is with the struggling churches. Mm. And a lot of struggling churches need to hear that because they feel like God's left them. But he hasn't. No. His heart is with the struggling churches. That's why he touches Ephesus so many times in so many different ways. Because that is his heart. Um, But his heart is that the people will repent and return to first love. That he might be with them to bless them for their joy and for the extension of the kingdom. Um, But he's very much with the struggling churches. And I I think that there are times when we we forget that. Um, If you go through the New Testament... You know, that Ephesus doesn't just come up in the book of Ephesians and and over in Revelation. But if you look carefully through Acts and through the New Testament testimony, you know, God touches Ephesus six or seven times in the space of, at the most, 40 or 50 years. Hmm. And we're surprised when churches struggle now and they lose their way, they lose their focus. We're surprised now. We think that's the aberration. When I think if we look at the scriptures, it's the easiest thing to happen
0: yeah
1: I think it 's why why you go through acts and Paul goes around strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith uh, that 's acts fourteen twenty two and he does that because it this is a hard thing. the gospel is something that we 're actually allergic to we 'd rather save ourselves hmm. and so it 's a hard thing for us to stick with we 'd rather something that 's easier that 's less humiliating that 's less costly to us, and so we're our tendency is to turn back to things that are less costly, that are less humiliating, that are less difficult than following Jesus. And I think Paul recognized that, and that's why part of his, a key part of his, we call them missionary journeys, was strengthening the disciples, strengthening the churches, strengthening the brothers, strengthening them in their he faith. He had a
0: whole journey that was simply going back and visiting.
1: Yeah. He had a whole ministry of going back and um, uh, Romans one eleven. I long to see that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Um, how, what did he think that strengthening was? This is fascinating. Paul's theology of gospel is fascinating. Romans sixteen twenty five. Never seen this before. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. So how did Paul strengthen churches? He's able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the mystery, revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long, long ago, from long ago. I'm sorry, for long ages. Um, so it, Paul understood that they needed to, to have to be strengthened. And he saw the gospel as that key thing that would strengthen them. Uh, even talking to Timothy, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Um, and so I, I think that we've missed, frankly, I'm just coming to realize this in the last year or so, we've completely missed a whole emphasis of Paul my denomination has our mantra has been this is turning around praise the lord um he's doing something which is cool and i think he's doing something in america because frankly we've got so many declining churches and so many closing churches that we were faced we're pushed back up against the wall as to that we've forgotten a whole part of paul's emphasis which was he planted churches and he strengthened churches and we've missed that uh our our Denomination. Our functional motto as a denomination is that it's easier to plant a church than it is to revive a dead one, and it's true. That actually is true. Give me a guy who's gifted. Give me half a million dollars, and we can go plant
0: a church somewhere in America. Let's go. Yeah, how do you? It is easier. You, do, it's less costly. How do you feel about that? Because well, I don't know that it's less costly, because you know I've 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 wondered about that. I'm mean, being a church planter myself, having friends who are church planters. I hear guys say what you just said. And I hear guys say yeah, oh, heard that church times. plants are doing a better job of reaching the lost than um, than our existing churches. And – but I'm – Certainly the statistics bear that it just, out. It just, but I just I doesn't seem region. right. It doesn't seem oh, – oh, I'm not saying it's yeah. right.
1: But the statistics do bear it out. And here's the reason why. A church plant hasn't forgotten yet why it
0: exists. Yeah, they're still operating on vision statements. To... Yeah, yeah. What's that? A church plant is still operating on vision statements, whereas a once well, you are established, you are not thinking in those is a terms. Vision a
1: representation of what's actually going on.
0: Hmm. Yeah,
1: and so it 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 it's summarizing something that already exists. Not as some of us have had to come into churches and try and help them get reoriented or whatever. We put a vision statement out there, and then we disciple people to it, so they begin to. To see it come into existence in their in their presence by the power of God, um, but a, a church plant, um, you know, typically begins in uh, the mind of a guy that God gifts and calls to a particular place who has an affinity to go somewhere and to see people reached with the gospel. And as he reaches people, he imparts that first love that he has for Jesus to reach people with the gospel in that place, and that's the kind of disciples that he creates. That's the kind of disciples he multiplies, is people who want to reach people there with the gospel. So it's very understandable. But I'm not sure that it... Uh, and it's very pragmatic, of course, to plant churches rather than revive dying ones. Um, so it's a good use of investment all those kinds of things. But I think that if we're going to have a fully, authentically biblical ministry, Paul did both. And if we're going to say that church planting is Pauline, are we going to say that strengthening the churches is Pauline? I think we do. And And obviously Jesus has a heart for struggling churches. He wants them to come back. So what is our embodiment as a church in America? I'm trying to help my denomination have an embodiment of this as a denomination, as presbyteries, things like that. That's what I'm working on right now. Um, But how do we represent that heart of God for the struggling churches that we saw that Paul also had that heart? What is that? Is that being worked out at all? And a lot of times it
0: hasn't been, frankly. You uh, So you've been reading these verses that have this term strengthening in them. Mm-hmm. I'm looking right now at, uh, and I, in fact this popped up uh, earlier when we talked about, uh, when we discussed what we were going to talk about today, and so I, I wanted to pull up this word and, and do a little background on it. And the, the Greek word... In the book of Acts when Paul goes around strengthening the disciples, strengthening the churches it's uh episterizo. <laughs> and you can you'd know immediately what that's what word we have today, what medical term usually because Greek usually comes through in medical terminology in in modern uh, language uh, that's that's it's where we where we get our word steroids now i 'm not going to make the the anachronistic thing of saying so. Paul was, Paul was planting churches on steroids. Um,
1: <laughs> you wouldn't make that anachronistic reference. No, this straight, is like
0: you? the um, you know, like the people who say dunamis is where we get dynamite. So you know, anytime you you see the word power in the Bible, it's dynamite power. It, it's silly, but you know, there there is something. You know, what do we? Why do we call them steroids? Um, you know, because they strengthen us, be, or yeah. that, you know, there's some, they have different steroids for different purposes and. Well,
1: they provide the opportunity for muscle to be built. Yeah.
0: yeah. What, which yeah. for muscle to be built, that means there's got to be, um, I'm going I'm to switch our analogies here. I'm going to switch to, uh, to plants from, um, from muscles, but when, when we were in California, I used to grow tomatoes all the time. I love to grow tomatoes, and one of the things uh, and, and there you can just grow the tomato plant outside the whole time, and you don 't realize this here in Pennsylvania. You have to start the tomatoes inside because it 's still cold outside when the tomatoes right. need to get going well and you you learn that when a tomato plant is growing, if you just leave it in a in an airless room or in a in a room without any Airflow going through it, your your tomato is going to go horizontal. It's going to lay on the ground and it's going to crawl like a vine. So what you have to do is you have to put a fan on your tomato starters, so that they're they're getting just a little bit of movement, just a little bit of pressure, and that's strengthening them. So they build up, they build up plant tissue and plant muscle, so that they become, you know, not a vine, but a stalk that can grow, that can grow vertically. You know, and this, this Mm -hmm. is a great analogy. Puritans used to use this analogy all the time for how suffering strengthens us. Mm
1: -hmm. You know,
0: that we need that constant pressure in our life or else we'll just, we'll just be like a a shapeless blob. We won't have any, um, we won't have any character. Same, the same is true of a church. How is God going to strengthen a church? What's Paul doing to strengthen the church? Uh, I, I'm sure, Matt, you've looked at this, but when Paul goes back, often what he's doing is he says, now, do you really want me to come back to you? Because if I come back to you, I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong. Right. I'm, I'm, there's going to be correction and discipline involved in me coming back to you. Now, see... Nowadays we think of strengthening in terms of inspiration. We think of mm-hmm. I'm going to come back and I'm going to deliver a beautiful conference message on the gospel and you're going to be inspired to live out of the gospel. But Paul Paul has some of that in mind. But but more often than not Paul's coming back to say, "Hey, hey, hey, the God's word says this and and you need to you need to bring your lives in line with God's word, and so strengthening is so much more than than uh, strengthening involves pressure. I should say, it's it's so much more than an inspirational message. Strengthening is is coming in and and pressuring a congregation, at, you know, giving them the weights to improve the muscles. If we, if we if can come it. back to the, we can come back to the 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 steroidal analogy but that's uh, that's the word epi you know the epi would strengthen uh, sterizo. Um so it's to cause someone to become stronger or more firm to strengthen
1: I think that one of the one of the challenges, I think, with this, if we're to embrace the strengthening ministering of ministry of Paul, if you go back and listen to our podcast on on um, gospel-centered ministry, that one of the things that can happen uh, in a distortion of a truly Pauline gospel-centered ministry is that people are never called to repentance. Mm-hmm. And um, that uh, clearly is not Paul. Uh, it's clearly not Jesus. Uh, that's what you read in Revelation 2, it's kind of like, Hey, return to your first love. Remember, I'm the guy who told you that you're going to return to your— you're going to feel love for your first love when you realize you've been loved. So I'm not telling you to forget the gospel here, but you know what? If you all don't repent, forget it. Um, I'm not with you anymore. Mm. And, and I think that there's a, there's a sense in which—and um, I, and I say this carefully because I, I don't want to be over the top, but I give this to you something to think about, that when you look at the Great Commission and Jesus says, I'm going to be with you, um, I think that promise is not in conflict with Revelation 2, where Jesus says, I'm going to be gone from you. I think that that the Jesus' has promised to be with us is as we are going, as we are making disciples, going, baptizing, teaching, he's with us. But if that's not what we're about, going to unbelievers, proclaiming the gospel to them, praying for them, seeking for their conversions so that they may enter into the discipleship process, that we might teach them to obey and go back out, then, um, you know, I, I'm not sure that Jesus is with us. And, and that's, um, that seems to be what Jesus is trying to say to those churches in, in Revelation. Hey, I'm going to leave the building and um, if you don't shape up. And so we can't miss that, that a crucial part of this is a call to repentance. Um, for churches that have lost their way Um, and and just diagnosing how they lost their way and on what things they've lost their way and, um, you know, those kinds of things and and keeping priorities, priorities and stuff like that. There's a lot to work on there. Uh, Churches get easily distracted by good things and lose sight of uh, the primary thing. Yeah. Um, You know, who wants to say that, um, you know, having a, oh, Sean's wife would kill me, but I'll say it and then she'll have the opportunity to kill me or, or be <laughs> nice to me instead. Um, you know, who's to say that a church having a choir is a bad thing? It's not a bad thing. In the abstract, they sing good music. Maybe they write their own music. They're creating culture. It's a great thing. Except if it consumes so much of the life of the people in the church that they are no longer have the logistical, logistical capability in their schedule to love their neighbor, actually love their neighbor because they're so busy at church. And that's typically what happens in the American churches, that we find a lot of good things to do that are not primarily focused on the formation of relationships with unbelievers. Or even the other
0: side of that is not that they're too busy doing choir, but that they say, well, because I'm doing choir... I don't need to evangelize, right? This fulfills, uh,
1: you know, my responsibility.
0: Yeah, because the Ephesian, what the Ephesian church did was to was to effectively say, um, it, what you said, Matt, of, of uh, Jesus wasn't with them. They made the conscious choice to leave their first love, and therefore they made the conscious choice to not have Jesus be there.
1: Right. Well, and and when you, and if we put this audio up of this presentation that I do about the history of the church in Ephesus, um, the church in Ephesus gets four out of five right. They're 80% right. Mm-hmm. And then we have a lot of churches that are kind of like, well, you know, yeah, we don't have a zeal for people that are not, a, that, that don't know Jesus, but look at everything else we've got yeah. right. Jesus says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those are evil. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You found them to be false. You're enduring patiently. You're bearing up for my name's sake. You've not grown weary. Um, You hate the work of the Nicolaitans. Um, It's just lots of good things that Jesus says about the church in Ephesus, and yet it wasn't enough because they uh, had lost first love. And for that. For eighty percent right, Jesus was going to leave the room. He was going to leave the building if they didn't repent. Um, and I think we have a lot of churches, and, it, and maybe this is too bold, and people get you know unhappy with me. But we have a lot of churches where Jesus is looking at it and saying, mm, "You got four out of five, but but you're missing the one that makes my heart beat." Mm. Where's the going? Where's, where's, the, where's the making disciples by going to the nations with the gospel? Oh, you've made stuff that's periphery primary instead of what's primary to me.
0: Where do we, where, where do we leave people? I don't want to leave them on that note, but, but I think that the message that we're giving here about strengthening churches is that if your church has the four out of five— uh, maybe your church only has one out of five. What right. you've said, you said this a few minutes ago, Jesus is still with you. Jesus is yes. for struggling churches. Jesus is about strengthening churches. And therefore, whatever right. situation you're in as our listener, either you might be the pastor of a church and you're you're frustrated because nobody's evangelizing – you might be in a church and, and you're frustrated for the same reason, or for other reasons you're seeing good things in the church, but not not that that love for Jesus as the first thing the By all means, that church needs you there, pastor or, or congregation member. that church needs you there because somebody's got to repent first. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to be the first one in that congregation to say, you know what, I'm the gospel call is a call to come and die to self. And if nobody else is going to do it, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to pray that in my <laughs> poor attempts, in my humble beginnings of repentance and returning to Jesus— that somebody else will see it and pick up on it, you know, kind of like with with parents. We pray that our kids would be stronger for the Lord than we are, and and it's the, it's the same thing. We we want to see churches strengthened, and Jesus wants to see churches returned to their first love. Absolutely, yeah, that's a good word. W- good word. Well. We encourage you to join us next month, maybe Matt uh, you said this this audio is available history of uh, this history of the church in Ephesus maybe we will uh, maybe we'll put that up uh, next month yeah that'd be great um, until then may the Lord richly bless you as you pursue him through his ordinary means.